Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy to us. We come before your throne of grace knowing that you and you alone are God of of all creation, that you are the one who is sovereign, holding all things together in the palm of your hand. Father, it was at your words when you spoke that all things came into being. It's through your Son that you have um, given us life and redeemed us and brought us to yourself and call us sons and daughters. Jesus, we are grateful for doing what, uh, for you doing what we could not do and accomplishing for us what we could not on our behalf. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? Would you open our spirit and our mind? And would you help us to understand in a greater way, even, uh, even just for a few minutes tonight and, and into tomorrow, would you help us understand in a, just a deeper way what you have done for us and what you have secured for us on our behalf? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have children or if you have kids, if you have children now or if you've had kids um, years and years ago, Undoubtedly, at some point at this time of the year, when you're sitting around the tree and you're opening up presents, uh, and one of those little ones grabs a present after they open it up, and they stand up and they hold that box in their hand, and the Bull family, to some extent, got to experience that today with our little three-year-old granddaughter, as she did it more than once. But as you watch them, they they take that gift and they stand up and they wrap their arms around that box and they begin to kiss that box. And inevitably they say, this is the bestest gift ever because they wanted that and they were waiting for it with a sense of eagerness for that particular gift. Um, my, My hope and my prayer is that we leave here tonight Um, with this greater sense of being able to treasure the treasure that has been given to us, that we would be able to look within the scriptures, and some of the scriptures that have already been read and some other scriptures, but that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to come and that he would help us metaphorically wrap our rounds the the one who is ultimately worthy. Presence Presents are good, but may he, through his spirit, work within us and help us wrap our, arms, wrap our hands around the one who is worthy and truly believe in our heart and in our mind with all of our strength that he, Jesus the Savior, and he alone is the bestest gift ever. I want to look at a passage of scripture that um, the Cromer family actually read for us a little while ago, and and I loved the fact that all six of you read it, so thank you for doing that. Um, We're not going to read the whole passage, but we're going to look at just a few verses, and that comes from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 13 13 through 20, focusing on just really one of those verses. Uh, If you would follow along with me up on the screen, Luke 2, verse 13. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made 
known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And that verse that I want to look at and focus on tonight comes from verse 19. And it just simply says, but Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That word treasure is one of those unique words that it can be used as a noun or a verb. And as a noun, the word treasure can mean uh, that it signifies a sense of wealth or riches, something that you store or accumulate over time. Or a second meaning treasure could be uh, anything or person that is greatly valued or highly prized. A treasure as a noun can be anything or person that you greatly value or highly prize. Um, many of you know what it's like as a, as a dating uh, young person, what it's like to be treasured in that relationship. I am the treasure in their eye. Many of you know the pain of not feeling that, and you long to be the treasure uh, in somebody's eye, in somebody's heart. And then you take the word not from a noun, but you look at it in the verb. What does it mean to actually treasure something? And we see this in the dictionary that it tells us to treasure as a verb means to retain carefully or keep in store as in your mind. Or secondly, it means to regard or treat as precious. To treasure means to cherish something. Or lastly, and this is the one that I love, to cherish something as a verb means to put it away for security or future use. In our circles, we believe in something that's referred to the already but not yet. Jesus has come and he has started his, and inaugurated his kingdom. It's already going on right now, but there's so much more to come. And so my hope is tonight and in tomorrow as you sit around with family and friends, that you're able to treasure the treasure. Why, why did Mary do that? Thank you, Jesus. Why, why did Mary treasure in her heart? If you know the context of Mary, she was not, um, she was not an adult woman. You know that she was probably a 13 or 14-year-old little girl. Moms and dads, think about that. Just think for a second. What are your family goals when it comes to your daughters? And would it be to have her married and pregnant with child? And she tells you, I promise I didn't do it, Dad. I promise. And we're told at the birth of this baby as a young teenager, she treasured these things in her heart. Why? 
If you remember, if you go back when she was met by the angel Gabriel, we're told that she greatly feared him and the message. And she entered into this dialogue, which was incredibly natural to happen. How can it be? Why? How can it be that I'm pregnant? I am a virgin. This isn't possible. And Gabriel tells her, oh, yes, it is. Anything um, is possible with God. Imagine what that was like for her, those of you moms who have been nine months pregnant. And you don't hop into the comfort of your car and drive to the local hospital, but instead your husband helps you up onto this donkey, which has to smell horrible. And then you ride on this donkey nine months pregnant for miles and you're 13, and you're wondering, what is going on? Why am, I, why am I experiencing this? And you get to the place where you are going to register as commissioned by Caesar Augustus. And there's no place for you to stay, and so you end up going into this inn, um, into the barn, where your baby is born and then laid into a manger. And these strangers who are shepherds, who probably smell bad as well, they come and they offer gifts and they sing and they wonder at the amazement of what has taken place. And we're told that Mary treasured all of this. That she was able to, in the midst of all of this confusion, wrap her arms around this and and treasure what had been given to her. You know, we just sang the words, Mary, did you know? And it's, it's discussed and debated a little bit within Christianity. And it's wondered, um, is it fair to ask the question, did Mary know? Because Gabriel went to her and he told her. He explained to her what was going to happen. And he was an angel. Of course she knew. Don't sing that song. But I'm convinced that if you do that, And if you believe that Mary didn't question in her heart at all, as a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old, if you believe that she didn't question that at all, then we wouldn't have been told in the scriptures that she not only treasured, but she pondered it. She wrestled with it. She continued to ruminate and think. And if you also believe that Mary didn't question, then what you're saying was that Mary at 13 and 14, she figured out, completely in faith what you and I can't. And so I'm convinced, and I ask Ben, let's, I, I, want, I want to sing this song every year because I'm convinced as I wrestle through and say, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I'm convinced that little 13, year, 13 14-year-old girl, she believed, but yet she also struggled. Lord, help me to believe. Is this really the Savior? Is this really the Son of God that I'm holding in my hands? Why why did she believe all of that? Why did she treasure all of that? There are four words, one phrase, and then three words that we're going to look at very quickly. That's actually told in a few verses just before we looked at. But in verse 10 through 11, we see this. Then the angel said to them, all of those who are standing around with this little baby, Fear not, which if you're a reader of the scriptures, that phrase is, that that comes up often. 
And it's often in the context of God himself or a representative of an angel coming to his children like a good father, a good mother, and saying, don't be afraid. I have you. We're told in this verse, 10 and 11, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? Why did Mary treasure up all of these things in her heart? Because of one, one of the things being a good young Jewish girl, she heard those words from the city of David, and she would have remembered, because she knew her Old Testament, she would have remembered all of those verses for hundreds of years in the scriptures that were written that prophesied that their Jewish coming Messiah would come from the city of David. That he would be from the line of King David. Remember that, remember that king who committed adultery with Bathsheba? Who had that man killed? And then later we're told in the scriptures that he was a man after God's own heart. From that man would come the Messiah. And so when she heard those words, the city of David, she knew this. And I, and I want you to think, don't, I want you to think about this. Don't let this get lost on you. In the context that the Savior of the world is going to be married, or, or give birth, I'm sorry. The context that the Savior of the world is going to be given birth, God works it out in his sovereign plan to use pagan sinful kings to work out his good pleasure. The context of them having to go to the city of David where she ends up giving birth is that Caesar Augustus decides, I want to tax everybody more. I want to be able to have more. And so he works it out that everybody, just to make sure we, we don't miss any family, any individual, I want everybody to go back to their home place, their city of origin, and I want you to register. And so Joseph, we're told, who is a son of David in the long line, takes his wife, who's also from Bethlehem in her lineage, and they get onto a donkey and they travel back at the command of a pagan king to go to the city of Bethlehem. You know, the world would tell us that Joseph and Mary were these very confused two young people who were just being caught up in the movement of a secular history. King, or the, the, the Caesar Augustus of Rome. But God, who is in charge of all things, who works out all things for his glory, uses that pagan king with a smile on his face and thinking, oh, Augustus, if you only knew, you're sending the true Savior. You want to be worshipped as the king of the world of Rome and the world, but, but at your command, I, you are fulfilling Scripture in Bethlehem. And more than likely, young Mary knew this. For to you, born this day in the city of David, and she treasured up all those things in her heart. 
And then Luke tells us three different names, and I'm going to fly through these quickly. He gives us three different names. He refers to him as Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. It is certainly fair to say that Jesus saves people from sickness, from injustice, from poverty. He doesn't always, but he at times intervenes and he does that. But the meaning of this text and the whole reason he came was that he would come and live the life that you and I couldn't live, that he would die on a cross, that he would receive the punishment from the Father so that he could give to all of us his perfect righteousness. And in doing that, he came to be the Savior of the world. And that word Savior, just in its in its basic form means he is our deliverer. <laughs> if you have ever had a child caught in trouble, you would do anything, anything to save them. In the creator of the world, our father looked down and saw people who could not save themselves no matter how hard we tried, and he sent his son to do it for us. In the second title, we see her as Christ. He is the Savior, the Christ. We often refer to our Savior as Jesus Christ, but the truth is he really should be referred to as Jesus the Christ because Christ itself means he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And those, Joseph and Mary and those around him, knowing their Old Testament scriptures, they knew that God had prophesied that a Messiah was coming and he was going to be the anointed one. And so he was the Christ. They waited for centuries for this person. And for unto you this day in the city of David is born the Christ, the anointed one, the one whom the Father places all of his blessing upon and said, this, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then lastly, that the, the fourth title that he gives him, he is the Christ, the Lord. He is the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, we hear repeatedly that the word Lord is only referred to as it's God himself. And for centuries, they waited for a human man to come and to be their savior and to be their Messiah. And they thought it was going to be a political king. But in sending this person, and in this passage, it's the first time used in scripture where we're told uh, that these two words are connected, that he's Christ the Lord. It's the first time they're used together because the word Lord signifies it's not a man, it's God. It's God who came to be your savior. And one who is Lord, and they would have understood this, then one who is Lord, he's in charge, he's master, he's ruler. And so all in this, in this little baby who was born, who, who was worshipped by the outcasts of society, in the city of David, he was the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Um, What's the significance of this? If you look into the manger and at this time, if you experience a sense of religious sentiment at Christmas time because you're in awe of this little baby and what he represents, it's meaningless if it ends there. 
unless we see that little baby for who he really is as the Savior who is the anointed Christ, who's the Messiah, who is our Lord, and you say, I need what you have and what you did, and I receive that. And the scripture says when that happens, you receive the ability to become a child of God. That's what this is about. It's not the adulation or the sentiment of a baby. It's about God stepping into our culture and reversing the curse. And giving us one who would come and say, I'm going to deliver you. Follow me. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your kindness that you've extended to us in Christ. God, we ask that you would help us to treasure in our hearts deeply this treasure. Father, you know that we live in a culture that is so enamored with and surrounded by treasures. And Lord, there are good things that you have abundantly blessed us with. And we're grateful for that and we're thankful But Father, we ask that through your spirit, you would help us to put you, our treasure, above and foremost over all things. You know we don't want to do that. You know that doesn't come natural. And so we ask that you would help us even more tonight and tomorrow as we celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.